0: Welcome to another episode of Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you be the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and this week is a little different because Steve and I are talking to each other about a topic that we really believe is critical for everyone anyone thinking about client engagement and growth, and that is how you can incorporate feedback to help you design an extraordinary client experience and drive more referrals. So we talk about the evolution of client feedback to reflect co-creation of value, which is one of the most important trends impacting how you engage with clients. And we go into detail on the different ways that you can gather feedback from surveys to interviews to advisory boards and how to choose the right methodology based on your objectives. Steve not only shares a step-by-step on how to create an advisory board, but really great examples of how advisors have used that process to achieve some really significant results. And with that, let's get straight to the conversation.
1: Well, so Julie, it's just us today.
0: Oh, what, what did we do with our
2: guests?
1: <laughs> well, it's actually we're we're gonna we're gonna have a con- just a conversation today. And as much as I love all the guests, and it's really been exciting to have those guests. Yeah. Over the last few months, um, it's also nice just to be able to talk with you. And we're doing that today because we're talking about something that you and I know a lot about that uh, has some particular relevance for advisors today. So we're going to be talking about client feedback, and you're the you know you're the uh, guru of client feedback, and we're going to talk about. Um, you know, the two different basic kinds of client feedback and what you can get from each of them and how you can do each of them. And we each have new projects that relate to those. So we'll talk about those later in the episode. But um, but let, let, let me start out by asking you a question, Julie. How, how do you see client feedback fitting into the business of an advisor today? And, and, and what's been changing about that?
2: Yeah, you know what? When I think about client feedback, and I... I'd be interested in your perspective on this because we've always thought of it as a tool to, you know, validate service. And some people think it's a great thing to do. Some people think it's a great thing to do, but they're afraid to do it. But it's always very tactical.
0: One of the things
2: that I really believe, though, is that that, Involving the client more actively in designing the client experience is one of these big client engagement trends that we need to look at. So we often talk about co-creation of value, and client feedback is a big part of that. So I don't think it's just a tactic. I think this is part of a much bigger trend.
1: Well, I agree, and and I think that the, the you know the, the forward-looking advisors will really get you know get a lot of value out of this because. You know, I, I think handling handling it tactically is you know kind of the superficial and the and and the way that it's been done traditionally. But I think the the advisors who are going to get the most out of this learn how to do this tactically. And like you said, you know, learn learn how to uh, bring the client in to co create that experience. You know, it's one thing to to find out from clients. Um, what, you know, what they think of you and, and how much they enjoy the service and, you know, those kinds of things. But, but if you can involve the client in designing the experience, um, you know, that, that's what niche is all about. And so I'm all about, you know, bring those clients in somehow and let's find out, you know, what they find most valuable and let's drop the stuff they don't find valuable and let's let's hear from them and, and use that feedback to try to discover new things that we can deliver to them that would really set us apart from other advisors.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think that when you get into that mindset, you start to think a little outside the box from the way we've thought about feedback. So in the past, is it, you know, it's one to five. How do you love us? so far. And, you know, it was kind of, there's, and, there's, there, and it's, it's helpful as a measurement tool, but when you think about it now, it's, you know, what are the challenges that you're facing? What do you care about? What is an extraordinary client experience look like for you, right. maybe outside of this industry that starts to get the creative juices flowing in terms of what is going to really set you apart. And right. we need clients for that, right? We need well, their input. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I mean they're the experts right I yeah. mean you know if, if we're going to have the experts at, at designing the ideal solution you know you go to the people who you want to consume that that experience so but 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 I run into so I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on something that I run into a lot that's the challenge where the <clears throat> where an advise a lot of advisors are really reluctant to open the door that wide because you know a lot of advisors have sort of a, a you know, they've designed an experience, they've designed a value proposition and that's, they really like that and they think there's a lot of value and there is a lot of value in it sure. and that's what they want to deliver. And so there's some reluctance sometimes to, to, to ask questions that would relate to that. How do, how do you respond to advisors that express that kind of concern to you?
2: Yeah, I think it is a real concern. I've I've often asked groups of advisors, you know, what's the number one reason you don't gather feedback, uh, and it's fear. I mean, just so the self-aware award goes to the advisor because <laughs> sure. you know that's that's what we say. But um, but I think that when you are truly focused on creating something great, and truly focused on setting yourself apart. We need to find the confidence to, to ask for input on that. I mean, this would apply to any area of life, let's face it. So the input isn't to suggest there isn't value. And the input is almost never, at least from what I've seen, to say you're doing a terrible job. The input is so that you can tweak and innovate and set yourself apart. That's, I think, where it really starts to become helpful
0: Right,
1: uh, right.
2: <clears throat> and the other thing I would say is, look, it, one of the one of the biggest reasons that we can um, maybe set aside our own fear is that the majority of our clients say that it's important. We just actually asked this question on one of our recent surveys of oh. investors, and two thirds of them said that being asked for their input was important, somewhat or very important. So. Yes, you understand them, and yes, you deliver something great, but they're still telling us that it's important to have that two-way conversation.
1: Right. And, you know, one of the things that you and I found on that study that we did a couple years ago was that... um, Advisors who involve the clients in the experience also tend to get more referrals. And we were talking about really tactical, really minor things like, do you ask the client for input on the meeting agendas for your mm-hmm. review meetings? So that, that's a really simple, you know, straightforward, tactical kind of way of going about it. I, I can only imagine how, how powerful it could be if you involve the clients more deeply and, and, like you said, co-creating that experience that, that, you're, that you offer to people.
2: Yeah. And I actually, I think that's a really important point here that often when we use the word feedback, people think a survey, but feedback is involving the client. So yeah, what, what should this review look like? What are you covering? Um, What's the overall experience look like? You know, uh, how do they feel about key issues? It's, it's all of these different points at which we can gather input to refine the experience, so a lot of people would refer to that as kind of voice of the customer, which I think is what we're talking about: is how do we find all the different ways right. to incorporate a client's voice?
1: And and you've 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 spoken in the past about different kinds of feedback. So can you tell us about the the basic categories of feedback? And let's sort of start teasing those apart and examining each one individually.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, usually the way I think about it is it's qualitative or quantitative, even though both can have a mix. And um, I think the right choice for most advisors has to do with your objective. So under qualitative, I might put, um, things that like that you know a lot about and I want to talk to you about like advisory boards um, mm-hmm. or focus groups or group discussion yep. I mean whatever label we want to put on those right
1: sure um, even 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 indivi- even uh, individual meetings with clients absolutely. like the things that you can tag on to the end of a review meeting and just ask a few questions about your service but yeah so I get it yeah that's
2: that's exactly it so kind of the client interview process quantitative is really where you're you're getting more quantitative input and and that can be uh, on satisfaction levels it can be on what they're interested in it can be on what they're challenged by uh, there's a whole range of things but it's really more you go out to all of your clients and you get more of a, a quantitative benchmark on what's going on
1: yeah and and i I see that as a great tool to use over time to track trends so mm-hmm you know just in terms of how people are feeling about your service and 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 what they value related to other things you know is anything that you can that you can do quantitatively than that you can do over time cuz you know the, the when you do a survey you know things like a general satisfaction rating in and of itself is not all that valuable and and that the average is is usually pretty sky high but 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 so the the number is not that important but the trend um, can be potentially useful. Is that? Am I reading that right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, and some things you want quantitative reads on that might be one time. So if I was thinking about launching a more uh, a more comprehensive educational campaign, I was going to do some workshops for my clients or or what have you. On one survey I might go deep on what they're interested in learning more about or get them to rate the potential value yeah. of topics that I'm yep. considering. Now I might not do that on my next survey, so it's not a benchmark in that sense, but I really do want a quantitative read on. It. I don't want that's two guys telling that's me right. this is of interest and then I build my whole plan around that.
1: Right, that's that's a good point. And and as an example of how how that, you know, how you can skew things when you do that quant qualitatively, we did a uh, an advisory board not long ago where <clears throat> Um, you know, we ask people about the use of the, um, uh, portfolio reporting system and, and, you know, the experience of this advisor, like, like many advisors is there's a very low rate of clients logging in and actually access, accessing a lot. of. And so we wanted to find out, you know, we wanted to ask them some questions just to see if, look, is it worth it? We, we pay the value of a small car to have this every year. (laughs) So, um, does it make sense for us to keep it up? Well, as, as it turns out, there were 10 people who logged in, I think, over the last 90 days, and seven of them were sitting in the room. So it's like, okay, well, right. this, is the, this is the wrong group to ask. Yeah. <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah, see, we're right. Continue doing it.
1: Right. right.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, I mean, and that's a that's – a, when you do that kind of qualitative – it's great for going deeper on why, like what do you value and why do you value it? And how does it support? And that's the kind of stuff you can't really get in a survey.
1: Yeah. Well, and one thing I like to do, and we'll probably touch on this a couple of times, is is starting with the quantitative Mm -hmm. and then using the qualitative to dig into the results. So uh, like what you might do is you might list the discrete services that you offer and then ask people to rank them. Yeah. Um, Or, or to rate that. And I don't, I don't, you're going to have to tell me this because you're the expert at this stuff. But then, you know, when you put all that together, then you can bring that to, um, you can bring that to a focus group or to an advisory board or something like that and start digging into, um, you know, well, well, this is, this is, this is something that's kind of marginal Mm -hmm. based on your feedback and we should explore, do we enhance it? Do we drop it? You know, what do we do with it?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And it could also be um, a quant can be a good prelude just to a deeper conversation with a client. So even if you weren't doing the group, which can be helpful for so many reasons, uh, just being able to sit down with a client and say, well, you know, this was the level of satisfaction you provided. It was a four out of five. I'm thrilled about that. Thank you so much. You know, one of the things I'd love to know is what we could do to be a five. You know, well, you can't ask that in the survey because you can probe right, a little right, more sure. deeply. Yeah. So, it's 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 always a prelude to a deeper conversation. I think quant.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, I agree, I agree. And one of the things that I really like to do is to is to use the quantitative stuff, uh, or to use the qualitative feedback to dig into surprising answers that you get. Um, Mm -hmm. so like for one, there's one example, a great example of an advisory board that we did and they, and they did a survey not long before we did the, the, this particular board meeting. And this is a a, a firm that does some really deep technical financial planning. I mean, these, these, these folks do, you know, they have some serious technical chops and so they really pride themselves on the quality and the, and the frequency of the planning that they do for clients. And so they put a question on their survey When was the last time your plan was updated? And they had answers like, you know, within three months, within six months, within, you know, a year. And the la- and the, the last one was, uh, I don't know. And 43% of their clients responded, I don't know. And their heads exploded yeah, because yeah. they're like constantly doing it. And so we were able to dig into that in the advisory board. We were able to say, so this is the result that we got. We were really surprised about that. Can you shed a little light on it for us? And so we had a really interesting conversation about it. Um, and, uh, and I actually found a really, a really simple thing. What it, the, the, what it turns out that, you know, they, they didn't update and reprint an entire financial plan. Every time they updated it, they would work on it on the phone or in person, and then they would send a follow-up letter. And, and so to them, the follow-up letter was the plan update
0: uh-huh. and
1: uh, people weren't perceiving it that way. So all we did, and this was suggested by one of the clients, all we did was we printed at the top of the letter plan update. Right, and problem went away. I
2: mean, I mean, yeah, I don't know is a really powerful answer. I think people. Yeah, yeah. I've often seen people try to remove that and say, "No, we want to force an answer." Well, no, because if the real answer is "I don't know," right. that's important information.
1: Exactly. Exactly, and then, and then, like you said, that can be the most important information. Can it's be. A, it's a lot more important, you know, on a particular question potentially to to. To, to know that people are really not sure how to evaluate this than to know whether or not it's a four or a five.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly
1: right. Um, <clears throat> uh, because
2: there, are, there are so many um, ways to use feedback. I think that like you've just given some examples of probably ways that people wouldn't even associate with feedback, right? Because we often think of it as how am I doing? And, and that's nice. Um, Or a lot of people are using that promoter score. So, um, which I think can work um, in its true sense, uh, well, depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, But, but, you know, when you think about it, if you, if you do it well, you can include questions that lead to more referrals, right? You can literally like tease out your referral opportunities. You can, um, we've had some interesting questions included, like just trying to understand some of the big challenges faced by a group of clients, which then led to tailoring a communications plan. We've seen people, um,
1: can you can you tell tell me more about that example cuz that's fascinating?
2: Yeah, so I mean let's let's assume uh, I'll take a general segment like you working with uh, pre-retirees or something like that but really digging in on what are the challenges that they faced moving into retirement. And of course, we all know it's about far more than the money. So if people started talking about um I'm trying to think of the top two in that case, but it would be like, you know, effectively, what am I going to do with my time? Like there were right, right. More, or more emotional responses. Well, that could lead to just a simple follow-up, like, a, like bringing in an expert to talk about the psychological transition to retirement. You know, and so it was really connected. He, the client said this, yeah, yeah, and now yeah. there's a communication. That's that's pretty powerful. Yeah,
1: that's a great example, and that's really interesting. I, I'd also like to go back and 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 ask you a little bit more about Net Promoter Score because sure. you've you've made the point to me before that <clears throat> Net Promoter Score can be really good and powerful uh, in more transaction oriented businesses, and that mm-hmm. and and so, but in a relationship oriented business like this, it, the relevance of it changes. So, can you? Tell me, tell us a little bit more about that, because I think it's a really important insight.
2: Yeah, so Net Promoter was really designed as a transactional thing. You know, you rent a car and you get this and you're rating the transaction. It was then brought into our industry, which we all, I think, would agree is far less transactional. Now, the only caveat, however, is that... The question, which is, would you recommend uh, your advisor in the next 12 months, or are you likely, excuse me, to recommend your advisor in the next 12 months? Um, it's it's actually a pretty good and, and maybe even better than satisfaction way of getting at the quality of the relationship. Um, the problems with it, of course, are I might give you a low number, not because I don't think it's a great... Uh, service but maybe I'm just not going to run into anyone who I think I can recommend so you know but some of that washes out if you're if you know over time if you just look at it as a quality of relationship metric it's not bad if you think it has something to do with whether they'll actually refer that's a problem because it's really not um The one place where I think it can work transactionally is if you're trying to really improve a particular part of your business. So, for example, um, we're working with a team that is entirely focused on redesigning their review process. Well, all of a sudden, having a rating, effectively, of that review and what went well and what didn't makes sense. Because it's not about the overall relationship. It's about something that just happened. And and so it can, I think it can be powerful in that way.
0: But we have to be careful.
1: Yeah, but that's not technically NPS, right? Because um, NPS is the ultimate question. And I'm assuming that that's why it came into our businesses, because yeah. the ultimate question is all about referrals. but. This sort of misses a big part of that. At least in our business, it may not for you know rent-a-cars, but
2: well, it does. And even the people who designed NPS don't say it's one question anymore. You know, it's oh, been I one see. Of oh, these
1: interesting. Okay. over
2: time. There, there are at a minimum, it's two. One being an open end: Why did you provide that rating? And more often than not, we're seeing people ask. A couple of questions, uh, after it. So it has morphed over time. Um, I still think it's, it's an okay way to gauge the overall relationship, but if that's all you ask, I think we just lose so much rich information right, sure. on what we Oh
1: yeah. Do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. <clears throat> it's, it's really, you know, the, 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 um, the depth of feedback that you can get is where a lot of the power is. It's, 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 yeah it's you can get so much more uh in designing and 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 uh, upgrading your experience than yeah. you know our you know net we have <coughs> a forty net promoter
2: right yeah exactly mm-hmm. what do you do with that i mean you pat yourself on the back
1: <laughs> right is, right
2: and and you may maybe you um, you notice that there are negative trends or positive trends but but feedback to me unless you know what to do with it and with whom to do it it's it's right. not as powerful an exercise.
1: Right, right. And <clears throat> and um, and figuring out what to do with it, I, I see that as, as a great opportunity for the qualitative feedback.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I'd love to ask you about some specific examples as well because I know you've had the opportunity, and I've suggested uh, so many advisors talk to you who are thinking about advisory boards. First of all, because, I mean, you need to understand how they work and what can make them great. But um, actually, in fact, often I hear a bit of confusion as to what exactly an advisory board is. So maybe I could just ask <laughs> you to if, <clears> throat>
1: <how> throat>
2: you explain that to us.
1: Yeah, well, I, an advisory, a client advisory board is, is an ongoing facilitated conversation with some of your best um, clients about what it's like to go through the experience you provide and how you can improve it. So um, so typically an advisory board is um, around a dozen of your target clients that -hmm. you bring together a couple, three times a year and um, and then and then, you know, ask them a a series of questions about uh, about what it's like to work with you.
2: And so you said target clients. I assume that's important. <clears throat> so you're, not, you're not trying to get a representative sample of all of your clients.
1: Yeah, I I, 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 I'm sort of, I'm sort of interjecting some of my recommendations into that description. So a client advisory board can be made up of, of any group of clients, but to me, the most relevant would be um, your targets because you know the, the getting the feedback and designing the experience um, specifically for the people you most want to attract is from my perspective, the most profitable way, but, but any group of clients could be an advisory okay. board. Now that that's distinguished from, for example, a focus group, which yeah. is typically a one-time kind of thing. And, uh, you know, not uncommonly a focus group can even be, um, people who are not clients, but people who are in the target population that you want to reach.
2: So um, it, are there other, um, characteristics of the people that you would invite to make sure it, you know, it really works the way you want it to?
1: Yeah. Well, so, um, there there are a few things that I think contribute to how valuable it can be. One is make sure they're the target profile. <clears throat> um, one of the, make sure that or I encourage um, advisors to choose clients who uh, embrace the advisor's uh, full value proposition. So if you're a financial planning shop, you would not, for example, bring in investment-only clients, even Got if it. one of those clients is one of your biggest, mm-hmm. uh, because they're not leveraging that part of it. So either they don't value it, or they can't give you good feedback about it because they don't experience it. Um, or that they are uh, that they're good connectors. So people who currently refer, or people who are in the networks that you want to better uh, get exposure to and stuff. Those those are you know those those I would weight more heavily when you invite people in than um, people who are not connected or not referrers.
2: And do you recommend that people have kind of people rolling on and off at different times like you do with other? Like- yes. <clears throat> Okay.
1: Yep. So, so once, so there's all process that we go through and we don't usually start rotating membership until the third or fourth meeting, but, um, but yeah, I think that, that you roll off, uh, you roll off members so that uh, you can bring in new ideas, new insights and those things. And also it's, it's a nice way of first not imposing on people's, you know um, you know, people's willingness to participate, but also it's, if somebody is not really contributing that much, it's a nice convenient way of sort of, we we say graduating from the board so that they, they become they co- they become board emeritus you know members, yeah. and um, and that way you don't you 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 reduce the number of times you might have to have that uncomfortable conversation of asking somebody to leave. So if you if you have this automatic process, then it, I think there's all kinds of benefits to rotating membership.
2: And so, what do those conversations look like? I mean, how do you figure out what you should be talking about?
1: Well, it's, it's it's all about the client experience. So where we start is with what I call the value questions, which is why did you choose us from among all the advisors you could have chosen? Yep. Um, for, of, of all the things we do for you and, and importantly, how we do them, what's most valuable to you? Mm-hmm. Um, what would, what would we inadvertently do that might prompt you to leave? And um, if there was, you know, if you had to change one thing about the relationship, what would make the biggest positive change from your perspective? So that's, that's usually the first meeting or so. Right. But then we, we, we go through and we systematically deconstruct the entire experience. So and we start with what's most relevant to ongoing clients. So we would we would deconstruct review meetings, and we would deconstruct you know service models, and you know if there are specific services like tax preparation that you do, we might take that apart. And eventually, after they've done a few of those, they're willing to help. Uh, they're willing to help you with uh, working with prospective clients. So at that point, we can deconstruct the onboarding experience, mm-hmm. de- deconstruct the planning process, you know those kinds of things, and then we get their feedback on the communications. So we start again, with things that benefit the existing clients. So we talk about, you know, do you send out newsletters, e-blasts, those things, you know, how do you perceive those messages, you know, uh, what's what's useful, what's not useful, what should we stop doing, you know, those kinds of things. And then eventually we get around to things like critiquing the website, you know, and that kind of stuff is um, to get feedback on that. So does this, does this communicate, is this reflective of the experience we provide you, the stuff that we have here on our website? does does that reflect what's most valuable to you about us or what's different about us in your perspective?
2: So I can see where, um, cause you've mentioned to me in the past, how you like the qualitative and quantitative working together, I guess the, the quantitative makes sure that you're not basing a decision on a sample of 12, but the 12 allows you to get, to gives you the color and the direction. Exactly. Okay.
1: Exactly. It's where you can do your deep dive.
2: Yeah. So what, I mean, what are some specific examples of, you know, discussions that you've had and outcomes just to get more granular about that?
1: Yeah. So some great examples of digging into that client experience. There was one, uh, one firm that I worked for. Actually, I, there was one I can remember very clearly because the, the, board member articulated it so clearly. But, um, but, I, but I hear versions of this in an awful lot of the ones that I do. And we were taking apart the review meeting, talking about the allocation of time across the different agenda items and what people enjoyed. And, and one person said it, I, this is almost verbatim, he said, listen, spend less time presenting the portfolio to us and spend more time talking about us, talking with us about our issues.
2: Oh, interesting!
1: And to me, that's really significant. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, a firm that that adjusts that can radically change the value perception on the part of the client.
2: And so, then, how did that play out in terms of how they went through those plan ma- planning meetings?
1: Well, they 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 cut it way down. They 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 cut down how much how much they were spending. It. I'll give you a more concrete example of that. We we critiqued. The uh, actual written for a different firm, we actually critiqued the the financial plan itself.
2: Okay.
1: And the, you know, the plan was, was, you know, it had a fair amount of bulk to it and had a lot, but a lot of this,
2: like a big one. It like was big lengthy plans that we see sometimes.
1: Well, a lot of it was the, it was the portfolio stuff and I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll focus on that because that's where the, the feedback focused. There were a lot of portfolio analytics and there were, you know, there were a lot of stuff about the portfolio in there. And so, you know, you ended up with a document that was, I don't know, like a half an inch thick, um, yeah. maybe a little less. And uh, so we were asking people about it and, um, and they said very clearly, it's like, this stuff doesn't have any meaning to us. I mean, you know, when you explain it, we, we understand it, but we, we hire you to do that. We trust you. So, uh, you know, you should take a lot of this stuff out. They reduced the size of their financial plans by like 75%. Wow. Uh, because they said, oh, well, you know, if you're not getting any value from all these Morningstar reports and all these different analytics we've put together, they were perfectly happy with uh, an allocation chart, um, a perform, you know, recent perfor- a performance graph, and maybe one or two other little things, you know, because... That's what was meaningful to them. They didn't need to see what the sharp ratio was and, you know, all the, you know, all the statistics that come out of those reports. And and so the, um, now they've, now the clients have a document that they can really relate to a lot more and they feel better about it because it's, it's a lot thinner.
2: And and what's you know you mentioned it at the beginning. This is about you know niche markets as well. So the fact that you're talking to your target, you could have another advisory board where they say you know we could use twice as many analytics. Um, yeah, probably not. Exactly, but, but yeah. it's just a different group, right?
1: Exactly, and 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 it and it does have a lot to do with the group. So for example, um, you know when we one of the things we talk about is client events. Mm-hmm. And you know, what events have you come to that we've that we've held over the past couple of years, and which did you most enjoy, and what did you enjoy most about them? And it was really it's really interesting because what I find is that um, sort of the middle income up to the mass affluent, or uh, oriented firms, they, they have an affinity for social oriented events and they like having an educational component, but they also really like the social part of it. The really the higher end firms, the ones that, that, that deal with the, with the high net worth and ultra high net worth. Um, they're, they're not interested in the social part of it. If they're going to come and invest an evening with you, they want, Something really useful, and 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 it not just you know an overview of the markets. They don't want that. They want well. One of the board members said to us, "Teach us something useful." And in their case, it had to it had to do with you know having a session about how to be a trustee, how to be an executor, right? Um, and that was interesting on a whole bunch of different levels. But it's also it's interesting to see you know how the differences in the client and the, the, the client profiles can give you different responses that can guide, you know, so one firm is going to do socially oriented events and another, another advisor is going to do strictly educational or, or, you know, orient them differently based on their client based preference.
2: And do you see, um, do you see firms also starting these when they're going through like a ch- maybe it's a change in the structure of the team or there's an acquisition or it's, I mean, is that a yeah. is that a natural time to really start this? Because I imagine there's some fear around that too, right?
1: Well, yeah. And it, well, it's interesting because there's fear on both sides, right? There's fear okay. among the clients and there's fear among the advisors to put it out there. But you know, it's it's the experience of the firm that we want to maintain and that we want to protect. And and whenever there's anything that's going to affect the, the the ongoing relationship with the clients, that's the if you really want to leverage it strategically, that's exactly what you want to bring to them. There's one firm that that uses us, um, so we have a, an advisory board a core advisory board that we meet a couple times a year and, and, and go through different client experience things, but they've been acquiring firms. And one of the things that they do is as soon as they acquire the firm, we do an, we convene an advisory board and we find out from them what's most on your mind. You know, we've, we've sent you communications about us and, and you know, what are you, uh, what are you concerned about? What kinds of things do we need to pay really close attention to as we put these firms together? And then we, we meet six months later and we say, this is what you told us last time. How'd do we do? You know, you, you, how you feeling? You good? You know, and, and, and did we do these things? Is there anything that's sort of hanging around out there? There was one board that was, this is a very long time ago that was bought by, um, the firm that was bought by a bank mm-hmm. and their marketing people, it was a fairly large firm and their marketing people had put together a really comprehensive communication program, um, to explain about it and, you know, address people's issues and, Six months had gone by and so that they'd gotten all the communications and they'd been meeting with their advisors and we got the advisory board together. And the first thing we asked was, well, you've seen our agenda. Before we get to this, what's on your mind? Everyone in the room said, we're really worried about this bank thing.
2: Right.
1: And so we just crumpled up the agenda, threw it yeah. away. And we had a very productive conversation about, about the acquisition and found out that there were some issues that hadn't been addressed because, you know, nobody could anticipate them. And, uh,
2: yeah, that's so. interesting. And yeah. being willing to do that, I think, is important. It's funny, I was doing a presentation uh, on, on referrals not long ago and we had a structured piece of it and then the second was workshop and whatever question I asked them at the outset, that was it. We were gone in a completely different direction. you got to be willing to do that, right? Yeah. Um, but let me, let me just ask you about referrals since, you know, we are becoming referable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're hoping. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: I know how a lot of this leads to it just because I've been doing it, but how, let's get specific. How do you think advisory boards can help advisors either understand referrals maybe or actually generate more referrals?
1: Well, a few different ways. Um, first, uh, you know, we, we have conversations with advisory boards about referral behavior. Mm-hmm. So we ask questions like, you know, if you've ever recommended this advisor before, how did it come up in conversation? Right. And what did, what did you say? And once we find out what clients are actually saying we have the opportunity to develop some strategies to help guide some of that language over the course of time and 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 help you know because as as you know julie through through your studies you know that the um the average advisor gets thinks that they get referred by four percent of their clients every year and your studies show it's more like thirty percent right and so you know, people are out there referring us seven times more than we think, you know, what, why the gap? Well, a lot of the gap, of course, is, is the language that clients use when they go to refer.
2: Yeah. And you don't know that unless you can hear them say it, right? Exactly. And that's but, the beauty.
1: but also stuff that you talk about a lot about client engagement and about, um, you know, involving that client, co-creating that experience. I mean, that when you can, when you can get clients to help you do that and then, you know, give you the language for it, that, that, you know, then starting to describe your, your business in those terms um, and saying it over and over so people start picking up on that language can be a very powerful driver yeah. for referrals.
2: Yeah. And uh, you've mentioned a few times, I know that a lot of people work with you on advisory boards and you take a very hands-on approach and, you know, you get in there and you facilitate. And sometimes I can imagine that's uh, a great idea because it's frankly not most of our skill set to facilitate mm-hmm. those meetings and to know what to ask but if you know so that's absolutely an option but for, you know can you just also walk us through the you know what are the steps for an advisor who's thinking about either doing this themselves or just understanding it and i don't know if you've got resources available for that person who really kind of wants to say well I think we can handle this ourselves thanks very much
1: yeah 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 so um, well the the basic steps are um, knowing who to invite to the board knowing how to how to invite them so that they'll accept mm-hmm. um, uh, developing the right agendas picking the right venue uh, sending out the right preparatory kits and then of course you critically um, have choosing the right person to facilitate that meeting and and you know it's really ideally somebody who's not um if if they are part of the firm that they're not part of the client relationships that they might mm-hmm. be in the marketing area or something, but but it's it really important that you have somebody who doesn't have a vested interest in how you want it to be and and who also has some facilitation experience because just sure. like just like financial advice, it's a skill but yeah. uh, but we do have you know so besides the the service of being able to offer this to advisors and, and a whole you know where we take that hands-on approach and guide them through it and facilitate the meeting and, and send them the reports. Um, by the end of April, we will have a kit um, that advisors can can buy, and uh, it will go. It's it's a step by step manual that will take you through each of the steps to do that, and it comes along with templates and worksheets and um, all the all the resources that you will need to do that. And you can whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're bringing in, bringing in an outside facilitator, um, mm-hmm. it will guide you through step by step in how to do that. So is that
2: based on feedback? Hey, I like how this is all coming full circle that you got that people, <laughs> people also want just the steps they don't always want somebody to come yeah. in and do it for them okay
1: yeah, I mean there, there are some folks that they they uh, I mean, you know working with us is is a uh, is something of a commitment. it's it's a big sure. project and some people you know want to be able to to do it themselves or they have people that they can tap to, to help them. Put this stuff together and they just like a little bit of the uh sort of the specialist perspective on it on uh, what yeah. what makes these advisory boards different than advisory boards that might be done by consumer products companies or some of the others but you have i wanted to ask you too because i know that you've been working on um uh, on a new survey service and i know that you're you know you've your early reputation was uh, was based partly on the client surveys you did, and you're yeah. you've got something new to offer there.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it was something that I did for many years, and I stepped away mainly because there was just some changes that I wanted to make in the business, and um, it's it's almost like where my heart has always been. So, irrespective of what I've been doing, I keep going back and saying, you got to talk to your clients, you've got to co-create, you've got to talk to Steve about this. You've you have know, it's just. <laughs> And so so the opportunity sort of arose where we said, look, we've, we've really got to take all of the new research that we've been doing, because we still go out every year and talk to investors about what's driving engagement, and really build a new offer, um, a new interface, a new dashboard, new ways of using information. So we're actually just in the process of launching that right now. So we're, we're pretty excited about it. It's, as I say, it's just something you know, when you believe in something so fully, it's it's exciting to see it get out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when, when can people uh, find out about that and where would they go to learn more about it?
2: Well, the, on our website, we've got a work with us page and the program's called Client Insights and you can actually go and you can look at that right now it's 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 already launched we just haven't done a big splash as yet um and and you mentioned end of april for you is that right for access that kit if the but i guess i mean to but to talk to you about advisory boards what's what's the best way to reach you
1: uh well the best way is to go to the client driven practice.com and there is a page about advisory boards there and um you can uh, also go to get dot advisoryboard dot solutions and find out um, uh, more about this kit that you can buy right there.
2: Okay. Well, that's awesome. You know, I, I, like you said at the beginning, I love our guests, but I've kind of enjoyed talking to you today too. I know. Well, we same here. Exactly.
1: That's right. Well, I, and that's that's half the fun of, of doing these programs is I talk know. to you as well as the guests. So it's it's been great yeah. to just be able to chat about this stuff just the two of us.
2: Well, perfect. Well, I mean, I guess that should wrap it up um, for today, but it's been great chatting.
1: It's great to chat with you, too, and uh, I look forward to talking with you and our next guests. And uh, thanks, everybody, for coming. Hey, folks. Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.